You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. But hey, today we're continuing, or actually going to wrap up our series called The Priorities of Christmas. The Priorities of Christmas, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the Christmas story, parts of the Christmas story, and we've been saying, Lord, would you show us different priorities, different things that are the main thing in this story so that we can apply them to our lives. And so the first week we talked about the priority of worship. We talked about how there's three different groups of people who came and they worshiped Jesus on, uh, in the, throughout the Christmas story. Last week we talked about the priority of faithfulness, how oftentimes God meets us in the seemingly ordinary or mundane. When we choose to stay faithful, we open the door for the Lord to, uh, to speak to us. Today, we're going to talk about the priority. This one may seem like it's the most obvious, but we're going to talk about the priority of Jesus, the priority of Jesus uh, in this season. And like I said, this may seem like it's the most obvious, but I want to show you in Scripture where many times the most obvious, maybe the most elementary, the most simple things in Scripture are the most powerful ones. It's often the easy things that I believe believers don't do that would lead us to breakthrough. It's oftentimes us thinking, well, that's too small to pray about. That's not that big of a deal. So what, do I really need to take that to God when God is saying, I want every detail of your life? Uh, you know, this past week, we have a Great Dane at our house, and uh, she's a small horse, but a big baby. And so she... Uh, She's got, she's got some allergies, these modern dogs, I tell you what. They got allergies and all kinds of stuff, right? Um, anyway, she's got these seasonal allergies where she gets all shaking her head all the time and all this stuff. Well, she, in shaking her head, she's got, she has hurt the, hurt the tips of her ears, where she's got these like little wounds on her ears. I mean, it's been so frustrating because anytime you try to bandage them or wrap them, and she's always shaking and it's always coming loose. And I just had this revelation yesterday. God just spoke to my, my spirit and he just said, hey, have you prayed about that? Have you prayed about your dog's ears? And in my mind, I was like, no, I have not. <laughs> it's my dog. Like, I don't. But I think oftentimes, what is it? It's the simple things. It's the simple things that if we will commit to do in Scripture, that God says, I will move. But oftentimes, what does Scripture say? Jesus waits at the door and he knocks. He's a gentleman. He's waiting for the invitation into every situation and detail of our lives. Nothing is too big and nothing is too small. And so... Um, yeah, you better believe we're going to be praying for my, my dog's ears. But anyway, we're talking about the priority of Jesus. And so today, here's what we're going to talk about. How do we make room for Jesus in the Christmas season? That's really what we need to talk about. How do we make room for Jesus? Because here's what we have to realize. Priorities don't happen by accident. You know that? <laughs> Priorities don't happen by accident. You got to fight for what is the most important. Because what will happen is the most urgent things will steal your time. This is urgent. It must happen now. When Scripture shows us, okay, it could be urgent, but what is most important right now? There's a lot of things that are urgent. Your job is always going to be urgent, but your family is a priority. See what I'm saying? There's always going to be something at work that says, come work a little extra, work a little long, and there's a time to work. Absolutely. But I'm going to show you in Scripture where there's seasons for everything. And if we're not intentional with putting a priority on the right things, we will miss it. And we got to learn to make room for Jesus. And here's where we see this. In, if you go to Luke chapter 2, in verse 6 and 7, this is where we see this phrase, make room, or, or there was no room. Luke 2, verse 6. It says, so it was, this is the Christmas story, that while they were there, this is Mary and Joseph, the days were completed for Mary to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. They wrapped him in swaddling clothes, or basically strips that they had torn, strips of clothing. And they laid Jesus in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in the inn. 
Think about that for a moment. The prince of peace, the pride of heaven, was wrapped in cast off rags and laid in a feeding trough because there was no room for the savior of the world. There was no room for the savior of the world. Obviously, the innkeeper was missing some things, and we have to ask the question, or you could ask the question, why did the innkeeper not make room? Why? And I think if you could talk to him, there's plenty of valid reasons why the innkeeper did not make room. I would often wonder if in the later years of Jesus' life, when Jesus' fame grew and he was healing people and he was raising people from the dead, did the innkeeper kick himself saying, why did I not make room all those years ago? If I would have only known Jesus, that guy who just healed that person, the, the, the guy who's known everywhere. You can't go without a crowd or somebody talking about what's going on with this man named Jesus. If I would have known, I would have made room, but I did not know all those years ago. Now, we don't see that in scripture, but it's fun to wonder sometimes because I believe that's what I would have said. If I was the innkeeper, that's what I would have said. Man, if I would have known it was Jesus, right? The man who does miracles, I would, have, I would have made room. And in that moment, I believe the innkeeper had reasons. Just as today, many people have reasons for not making room for Jesus as a priority in their life. There's always reasons, right? Just try to invite someone to church. Is there not an excuse always? There's always a valid excuse too, right? Well, this is going on and I had to work and then this, you know, the kids and this stuff. There's always reasons to not make room. There's always gonna be something that fights for it or fights against it rather when it comes to making room for Jesus. But here's what's sad is that someday many people will stand in front of God for the judgment and they will ask, why did I not make room? Why did I not make room for Jesus? Why did I not make room? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about three different excuses and there's probably many more than this, but these are kind of the three, the main that apply to our life today, I believe. Three different excuses or reasons why the innkeeper did not make room for Jesus. And in doing this, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three different examples from the story of Jesus in his ministry as a grown-up. And so the first one is this. He was too busy. The innkeeper was too busy. Too much going on, <laughs> too busy, uh, stressed out, whatever you want to say, too busy. In fact, this was the busy season for the innkeeper because all the guests were arriving for the census that was taking places, for all the taxes that were being collected. This was the busy season for him. This was the time of renewing old acquaintances and ringing the cash register to make that money as the innkeeper. Everybody's traveling. They got to have a place to stay. I am here making my money. Like I've got to make some money. He was too busy dealing with, with other people, filling and making sure everything was managed well. People were taken care of. People had everything that they needed and he didn't have any room for sentiment. He could not be disturbed or distracted by a young woman requesting the most modest room in the inn. I don't have time for that. I got a lot. Do you not see what I'm dealing with? Do you not see all these people that are coming in here? Do you not see all the people trying to get a room? I am too busy, too much to do to deal with it. And you can almost hear him say with frustration, just send them to the ox stall. There's no room here. So do you, why are you even bothering me with a poor family when I'm dealing with all of these people? Send them to the ox stall. There's no room for them here. And I believe in that moment, you could almost hear him saying that because, because I think what we see in human nature is when we get busy, we get frustrated. When you're stressed, you get frustrated. What happens when you're stressed and busy and you get frustrated? What do you do? You take it out on people who don't deserve it. Many times your spouse or your family. Now, I'm sorry I was short with you. I'm just stressed at work. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have yelled at you like that. I shouldn't have corrected my kid in anger, whatever it, whatever it was. Why? I'm stressed. I'm busy. I got a lot going on. 
And you can almost hear it in the, the, the innkeeper's voice for him to be like, just send them away. Like, I don't care. Send them to the ox stall. There's no room for him. What does he do? He takes it out on the people that didn't deserve it. And after 2,000 years of Christianity, there is still the danger of us being too busy for Jesus. Let's look at an example from Luke chapter 10 now. Luke chapter 10, this is when Jesus is in his ministry. And in verse 38, it says, And Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a certain village where there was a woman named Martha, and she welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and to help me. Look at verse 41. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and you're upset over all the details, all of these details, but there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her. There's one thing to be concerned about. What is Jesus revealing here? He's revealing that even in the busyness of life, life is going to be busy. There's going to be stuff on your schedule. There's going to be stuff fighting for your time. But he says there's one priority that trumps all the others, and it's Jesus. It's being with Jesus. It's including Jesus. Oftentimes you may say, well, I'm so busy at work, I can't spend you know, eight hours a day in my prayer closet. That's not what Jesus is asking you to do. I think oftentimes he's saying, will you take me to work? because we can pray and we can read the verse of the day on the Bible app, but then we go to work and we don't talk to Jesus all day. And he's saying, what if you brought me into your work? I would bring wisdom and I would bring blessing and I would bring favor and I would bring my presence where there is peace. And you'd be amazed at how your work and your environment at work would shift and how you'd be more productive at work if you would bring me into it. But you see, oftentimes we get so busy that we neglect the main thing, which is Jesus. And so here's what's interesting. She was busy with legitimate things. Put yourself in her shoes right? Jesus coming to your house, what are you going to be doing? I'll tell you. (laughs) We're going to be doing the same thing Martha's doing, right? Anybody need any drinks? Hey, you guys comfortable? What's this trash on the floor right here, right? Like, how's the bathroom look? We're going to be stressed out over what? Cleaning, providing, cooking, preparing. Why? I want to make sure everyone's comfortable. Meanwhile, Jesus, our Savior, is going to be sitting in the living room saying, I just, I came here to spend time with you, not to be served, that's what Jesus' attitude is here. I came to be with you, not for you to serve me. I want to be with you one-on-one. And too many times we, we miss it and we don't keep the main thing the main thing. Too many times we, our busyness keeps us from keeping the main thing the main thing. I should say it that way. It'll keep us from it if we allow it, if we allow it. She could not see spiritually what was going on. She couldn't see what was going on to say, is this what I should be doing right now? These are important things. But where should I actually be spending my time? She didn't have the spiritual sight. Ecclesiastes 3 says it this way. So I know that there's nothing better for people than to rejoice and to do good as long as they live. And also that every man should eat and drink and see and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Some interesting verbiage here. What? Right before this, he says there's a season for everything. There's a season for planting and for harvest. There's a season uh, for mourning, and there's a season for dancing. He goes through this entire thing. There's a season for everything. But he says, at the end of it all, what I've realized is that people, he says, what? They should, they should eat, drink, and see, and enjoy the good of their labor. It's a gift from God. Meaning what? To enjoy life when we have the opportunity. But too many times, our busyness will keep us from even enjoying the little things. 
even enjoying the little things. I would say this, our culture right now is saying, oh, it's the holiday season, it's the busy season. And yeah, is there a lot of stuff fighting for your attention? Absolutely. But I think the spirit is saying, we're coming into a season where we should be slowing down and enjoying the most important things in life, which is family, faith, friends. It's the priorities. I should not be doing what culture's pushing me to do, but should I, in the spirit, say, Lord, what do you have for me right now? Now, again, what does scripture say? It says, there's a time for everything. This is why it's important that when we talk about Sabbath, when we talk about enjoying time with family, that we don't just talk about that. What leads me to a Sabbath or a time off? Hard work. What does he say? Enjoy all that you have worked for. That's what we're talking about. Have I put in the work when I prioritize my time? Did I put in the work hard here? So when I'm with my family, I can be with my family. And when I'm with my family, I can say no to other things that are going on. That's what he's saying. He's saying, see, this is very profound, but hear me in this. You can't see what you're not looking for. You can't see what you're not looking for. What's my focus right now in this season? As I'm coming into this season, what's my focus? Is it my work or is it my family? Is it my things, the things on my schedule or is it my loved ones? Is it the lesser things or is it the things that have eternal impact? Because the lesser things will fight for your time. It's the eternal impact things that you have to fight for and to keep the main thing, the main thing. Work hard so that we can slow down and not be too busy to miss Jesus. Point number two is this. He saw no profit. I think another excuse that he could say is, I saw no profit in the situation, right? He's a businessman. He's the innkeeper. He's running a business. He's probably got many servants that are working for him. Everyone's stressed out because they have all these visitors that are coming for the census, and he saw no profit. Here's what we see. We see a poor Joseph, a lowly Mary, and a shabby-looking donkey, and they did not look to be people who could bring true profit to the innkeeper. They didn't look like people who could bring a profit to this place, right? Rather, I think, (laughs) if Mary and Joseph arrive in style— I'm sure we could bump somebody else to make room for you. Now, we don't see that in Scripture, but I think this is how human nature is, right? Wouldn't that be the temptation? Mary and Joseph, they roll in, and they got gold, and they, got, they have animals, and they got all this stuff. What? I'm going to be more motivated because I can see a profit in my investment into this relationship. Whereas Jesus shows up, and what? A poor, poor Joseph, lowly Mary one shabby looking donkey and here we are. And it's like, y'all can go to the ox stall. There's no room for you here. There was no profit. He saw no profit. And I think there's many people who make no room for Christ because there's no opportunity for gain in their eyes. There's no opportunity for self gain in their eyes. Why would I do that? Why would I invest in that? Why would I tithe? Why would I serve? That just takes from my stuff, my money, my time, my stuff. Why? They see no profit in it. They'll serve Jesus if it brings blessing, if it brings increase, but if it costs them something, they're out. And this is the danger, I think, of modern Christianity in America. Come follow Jesus. It's all love and grace and and unicorns and, and rainbows and everything's fine all the time. When Jesus makes it very clear, now there's going to be some times where you face persecution. You face persecution. Let me show you. In Mark chapter 10, this is where we're going to look for this one. In Mark chapter 10, we see a popular story where a young man comes to Jesus and he's looking for eternal life. Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. He knelt down and he asked. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
So Jesus responds and he says, here's the commands. This, these are the commandments. If you do these things, scripture says what? You're going to have eternal life. So here's what, how he responds in Mark 10, verse 20. He says, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, I love this, Jesus felt genuine love for him. He said, there's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. What did this, this young man see? No profit. Now, I've, I've done the things, but if you're asking me to give up the material stuff, I'm out. Sacrifice, I can't do it. I got a lot going on for me right now. I can't afford to do that. And what I see, and I think in human nature, is many times we want something for nothing when it comes to the things of God. We want something for nothing. We want, we want the, you know, God to give us the blessings, the breakthrough, when we have not first invested or given up or sacrificed or sowed into the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way in the natural, right? I work and then I get paid. I sow and then I reap a harvest, even in the natural. And in God's kingdom, things work very uniquely. And I've heard it said this way. My pastor growing up, he said it this way. He said, Each, every death in Christ is followed by a glorious resurrection. For every death in Christ, it is followed by a glorious resurrection. And here's what that means. Whenever I die to something, give up something for the kingdom of God. It's like if you look at it in the natural, if I had a seed and I plant this seed into the ground, when I plant that seed and I bury it and I walk away, that seed is dead to me in the sense that we are separated. I no longer see it. I no longer have relationship with it. It is in the ground by faith. I have died to that seed. Now, with the right environment, with the right sunlight and water and soil, now it will what? Be resurrected to new life. It's not going to come up and be a huge seed. It's going to come up and it's going to produce much fruit, more than what I put into the ground. This is how it works in the kingdom. Jesus shows us that whatever I put into the kingdom, meaning this, whatever I give up, die to for the kingdom of God, he says it will bring a glorious resurrection in your life. See, this is what we see. We read the, the story here and we think to ourselves, what would have happened? What would have happened if the rich young ruler would have given up everything and he would have followed Jesus? Well, the good news is we can keep reading in scripture and Jesus tells us what would have happened if the rich young ruler would have done what he asked him to. If we continue in Mark chapter 10, we get to a point in, in verse 29, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And in Mark 10, 29, he says, I assure you, I assure you, that's huge. Meaningless. Meaning what? You can take it to the bank. <laughs> I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news, the gospel, the kingdom, will receive now. Everyone say now. Will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. Let me stop there for a second. Now, oftentimes we think, it, we often think, if I, if I die to something, give up something for the kingdom of God, well, someday in heaven, I'll get a reward. And Jesus does say, in heaven, there will be a reward for those things. But he also, does he not say, now, now, 
You see, we don't give to get from God. But our God is so generous that he says, look, anything you invest into my kingdom, it is good soil. And you may die to that seed. You may die to that relationship, to that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that job opportunity that you wanted, but you just don't have peace about it. You may die to that thing. But if you trust me, it will, I will bring it back with a glorious resurrection better than what you put it into the ground with. Because you gave up a seed or an opportunity or a relationship. And God says, the thing that I'm going to birth out of the ground with glorious resurrection life, it is drastically different than what you gave up. How good is our God? He doesn't say, if you give me a seed, I'll give you a seed. No, he says, I will give you much fruit in return because you invested in the right place. Man, our God is so good. But what does he say? He says, now you will receive these things. But what does he say? With persecution. Let me put your mind at ease for for a second. There will always be a selfish critic who will throw a fit when God starts moving in your life. I'll say that again. There will always be a selfish critic who will throw a fit when God starts moving in your life. Don't let that person keep you from walking in the blessing of God. It may, it may be someone that you love, maybe someone that's close to you, but look, when God's moving in your life, give God glory for it. Don't let some critic with persecution keep you from what God is doing. Walk with God. Scripture in the Psalms, it says what is better to put our faith in God than in man. We're doing this life for God first, and then we're going to bring other people with us second. God first, though. What does he say? And let's continue on. Along with persecution and in the world to come, now and in heaven and in the world to come, that, pe- that person will have eternal life. Eternal life and blessings is what he's talking about here. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. I'm going to tell you something. God's not opposed to you having money and possessions. He's not. Hear me in this, though. He is opposed to money and possessions having you. God's not opposed to you having money and possessions and your needs met enough so that you can bless other people. He's not opposed to that. But he is opposed to money and possessions having you. And this is the rich young ruler. He served God to a point, but there was something he could not give up for the kingdom. And Jesus says, man, if you would, I would, I would bring a resurrection of those things that you can't even wrap your mind around. You see how walking with God, when we have faith and trust in him, we can live open-handed. It doesn't mean we make foolish decisions and we just, you know, I'm gonna, hey, I'm going to sell my house and move my kids and we don't know what our next step is and we're just going to live by faith and five years have gone by and we're just barely making it. Listen to me. God's not going to sacrifice your kids for his kingdom. Our job is to provide for our kids. And so you better make sure if you're taking a step of faith that you've prayed about it, you've sought counsel about it, you have peace about it, so that when you walk, you're walking in agreement with God, not in foolishness of, and saying it's by faith. A lot of people have done that, and a lot of generations have been lost. Kids have walked away from God because they've seen God as somebody who never provides and doesn't keep his word. If we're going to walk by faith, let's walk by faith and not by sight. Um, you'll never experience the blessing of God if material gain is your motivation. That's where the innkeeper was. No profit, no thanks. That you'll never experience all that God has for you. And so what do we have to do? We have to trust God and say, Lord, if I give this up, it may not make sense to me now in the natural, but I'm believing that in the spiritual, you will bless it. It may not make sense now for me to give up this relationship with that boyfriend, that girlfriend, but I believe that if I walk in obedience, you're going to bless it. It may not make sense for me to give my tithe and my offering, Lord, but in the natural, it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to believe that you're going to bless it in return. It may not make sense for me to, to, to walk this thing out, but I'm believing that you're going to bless my journey because I'm walking in agreement with you. Point number three is this. 
he did not recognize Jesus. He did not recognize Jesus. As we look at the innkeeper's story, what he's busy, man, there's a lot going on. And then, and then you go and you move into, well, I just don't see a prophet. Why would I invest my time there? My time is precious because it's limited because I'm busy. Why would I invest it in somebody who can't return it? But I think the most important thing is that he did not recognize Jesus. And we often fail to recognize Jesus in the everyday people around us, meaning this, in the poor, in the hungry, in the lost, in the hurting. We often don't see Jesus in those moments. And if we're not careful, we miss Jesus. We don't recognize Jesus. Make no mistake, friends, Jesus shows up every day with opportunities to serve him. Make no mistake. Jesus shows up every day with an opportunity to serve him in many ways. Do we recognize it? Do I recognize it? Do I see it? At the end of the age, Jesus shows us in Matthew 25 that everyone is gathered together and he gathers the righteous and the unrighteous. And he puts the righteous on one side, the unrighteous on the other. He has the sheep, as he calls them, and the goats, and he has them separated. And he begins talking with them. And here's what he says in Matthew 25. Let me show you what I mean. In Matthew 25, verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, the righteous, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And look at the response by the righteous. In verse 37, it says, And the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? What are they saying? What are you talking about? Lord, we would remember if we were serving you. We would remember if we visited you, invited you into our home. Jesus, we would remember. Our king, we would remember that opportunity. And the king will say, Verse 40, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Man, when you did it to one of the least of these, you were doing it to me. Here's what I've learned, is that when you serve people who can't pay you back, God always does. When you serve people who can't pay you back, God pays you back. This is why we invest such a priority in kids ministry at our church. That's why we're looking for a new building and we have more room to invest in our elementary kids and give them their own space. Why? Kids can't pay us back. Someday when they're older, sure. Right now they can't. But what I've learned is in the kingdom, when you do it for the least of these, it means I'm doing it expecting nothing in return. My motivation is pure because they're the least of these. They can't do anything in return. But what does Jesus say? When you've done it to the least, you've done it to me. So now every opportunity I have, why, why do we put such an emphasis on kids? Because they're the least of these now. And we're serving Jesus by serving those kids. Why do we, why do we put such an emphasis on, on helping single moms through crisis pregnancy outreach and helping any way that we can? Why? They're the least of these right now. They can't pay us back. They're in need. We can help. Why? In doing so, we're helping Jesus. We're serving Jesus, why do we put such an emphasis on helping families in need, even in our own community, our own church family that need groceries? Because we're helping the least of these, we're helping Jesus. We're serving Jesus, not for anything in return, 
but because if it's an opportunity to serve Jesus through the least of these, I'm all about it. Let's go. Why do we send our missions over, over into the mission field? Why do we send these people over there to help these people that we will never meet, some of us will never meet? And they go out there and they share the good news and the gospel. Why do we support them? Why do we give so much money to them? We're serving the least of these. Why do I serve my next door neighbor who sometimes may drive me a little crazy? who's a little rough around the edges. Why do I still serve them? Why do I still have a good attitude? Why do I still shake their hand? Why do I still ask them how they're doing? Why? They might just be the least of these. When I say the least of these, they may have stuff, they may be able to pay their bills, but they don't know Jesus. I can give them that. And it's the simple things that change people's lives. And as Jesus finishes this passage, this is where it gets serious. He addresses the unrighteous the same way. He's addressed the righteous and he said, this is what you've done. You've done it to the least of these, so you've done it to me. He addresses the unrighteous and he tells them the opposite. He said, you never visited me. You never helped me. You never served me. And they respond and they say, if we would have known, we would have helped. If we would have known it was you, we would have, we would have been all in. We would have cleared our bank accounts if that's what you needed. But look at verse 45, Matthew 25, 45. And Jesus will answer. The king will answer. I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help, the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me, man. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Do you see the opportunity of every day? The innkeeper, what? He didn't recognize Jesus. Why? Because he didn't look important. If the Messiah is coming, the innkeeper was expecting a warrior, a, a military leader. He was expecting someone who was gonna uh, challenge the Roman empire, not a baby to a poor family. And he didn't recognize Jesus where? In the least of these. And oftentimes we are so busy and we're running through this life and we don't recognize Jesus in the least of these. He's giving us an opportunity every day to serve him by serving others. He was expecting, the innkeeper was expecting a warrior, some grand entrance, not a poor family. But hear me, friends, when we fail to recognize Jesus in the everyday interactions with the least of these in our communities, we simultaneously fail to put a priority on Jesus. When we fail to recognize Jesus in the opportunities, we fail to put a priority on Jesus. Don't overlook, don't undervalue the little opportunities Jesus gives you every day. It may be a neighbor, maybe somebody you know, may just be faithful and serving that coworker still being nice to that coworker that drives you a little insane. I don't know. But you'd be amazed at when you serve people who can't pay you back, how God will pay you back. He'll show up in your life like you've never imagined. Here next week, we have our Christmas services coming up. We have those two services to choose from. And what I'm going to ask you to do with this last point in mind is ask God to give you more opportunities or to make them clear for you to recognize Jesus this week in serving others. Recognize Jesus, meaning this, be praying about, be praying for serving, be serving, be loving, be bringing and serving thing and giving things to those people who you say, I, I, they need to be in church. I know God's put them in my heart to be in church. Be thinking about it, be praying about it and, and watch how God will open a door. You know those prayers where you think, I don't know, if, is God gonna answer this prayer? These are those prayers that he will no doubt answer. Lord, give me an opportunity. Eliminate my excuses to not invite someone 
every time I prayed that prayer, <laughs> God makes, he eliminates everything where I am forced to invite that someone, that person that maybe I've never talked to, we've never crossed paths, but God finds a way to interrupt my schedule to do his will. And this week, as you go out, ask God to give you creative ways to serve the least of these. People that you're not serving them to get something in return, but you know, man, if God was in their life, things would change. Man, God can move. God could, man, he could restore that family, that marriage, that household. Be praying about what, who you can invite, who's close to you, but far from God. And here's what I would say. As you look around, even if you see a few empty chairs in this auditorium, I pray that it would move us to say, man, I know someone who could sit there. I know someone who could sit there. In fact, I know enough people to fill a couple rows here that need to be here, that need to be planted, that need to be plugged in, that need to find Jesus. God is going to move in our Christmas services. And so here's what I would challenge you with. Don't you dare come alone. God's gonna move in our Christmas services. Don't you dare come alone. Who do you know? And guess what? When you get here, all the pressure's off you. God's gonna do what he can do. You don't have to perform. You don't have to do the miraculous. You don't have to restore a marriage, but God can, God will, and God will meet people. And just as the father does in Luke 15, what does he say? He interrupts him and he says, son, you're home now. You're home, what, what else matters? You're home now. Let that be the experience that all of our guests have, and maybe even some of you this next week as we have our Christmas services. So as we wrap up, the priorities of Christmas. Jesus is the most obvious one, but we gotta choose to make room for him. Don't let busyness steal from you. Don't think that there's no profit for every death, everything that you give up into the kingdom brings a glorious resurrection. But don't fail to recognize Jesus in the seemingly small, ordinary interactions every single day. And watch, as you pray and as you seek God, and as you say, Lord, give me an opportunity, watch how, how he'll show up. Let me pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, I pray right now specifically for our church family. I pray that as we go throughout this week, Lord, we don't wanna be like the innkeeper. We wanna make room for you. I pray that you'd give us wisdom on how to restructure our schedules so that we're not too busy for what's most important. Lord, I pray that you would help us see or have the faith maybe to die, to give up some things in our lives so that you can do what you wanna do. And Lord, I pray most importantly that you would help us recognize you, Jesus, in everyday opportunities to serve people. Let us never overlook an opportunity where we could serve the least of these. And God, I thank you that we will be a church that is devoted, committed, sold out to serving the least of these, because if it means serving you, we're all in. And Lord, I pray that as we go this week, as we invite people to Christmas, as we invite people home for Christmas, Lord, we know you're a good heavenly father. And I pray that as people make a step towards you, even if they say, maybe, I'll think about it. Lord, would you just send your Holy Spirit to begin to work on their heart and to draw them close to you. And your word says, when we draw close to you, you draw close to us. Let them just begin to take a small step towards you. And we know that you will run and you will meet them and you will bring them home for Christmas. Our prayer, Lord, is that next Sunday will be filled with salvations and healings and restoration and glory for your kingdom. 
Not to say, look at us or how many people we had. That's not it, Lord. We want to bring you glory. But make us a vessel to do that. We're humbled and we're honored to be a part of it. In Jesus' holy name, everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com. 